But I want to talk about discipleship. Several years ago, my, my little nephew, which he's not little now, but, but my little nephew graduated from high school, didn't really have much direction as to where he was going to go in life, decided to go into the military to be, become a Marine. And so we went to his graduation after he had been gone for what seemed like a long time. I can't remember. Is it eight weeks? Does anybody know? It's probably a, very, very sinful for me not to know the exact uh, amount of weeks, but it's 13. Yeah, okay. So I knew that. I just wanted to test y'all to make sure. Um, okay, so for 13 weeks he went away and, and, uh, and he was at, at boot camp. Well, we go to his graduation and it just it blew my mind. You know, his, his name is Jesse and his, his, his life was transformed. He was, a, he was a different guy and has continued to be a different guy. In 13 weeks, the United States Marine Corps took my nephew, who, you know, was, was a good kid in, in a lot of ways, but just he lacked direction and lacked discipline and lacked respect and came out of the Marine Corps and it was just, he was just different. And uh, I was walking around um, Paris Island, we were, we were there for the, for the graduation, walking around and I was seeing these guys, you know, and just how, how well put together they were and how they were acting and, I, and, and the Lord convicted me. I was walking around and, and what was on my mind was in 13 weeks, our government can take a, a young man with little respect little hope for the future as to what, where things are going to go, uh, little discipline, not a soldier, not a warrior, just a civilian that was probably headed into some trouble, had already gotten into some trouble, and in 13 weeks had converted him into a different, a different person. And I was thinking, man, how many people do I know that have been a part of the church for years and years and years. And yet the idea of walking as a disciple of Christ, yeah, I was convicted by that. I was convicted that they could be purposeful and in 13 weeks change somebody's life, yet sometimes in the church, somebody could hang out with us for years and even decades and have very little change that takes place in their day-to-day living. And so what I walked away from, this has been a number of years ago, is, you know, God, could it be that we need to be more intentional about discipleship? You see, we have an advantage that our United States government doesn't have when they're training somebody to go from a civilian into a warrior in 13 weeks. They've got their methods and they've got their, you know, they, I, I kind of know a little bit about the way that thing works now. They beat them down and then they build them back up into who they want them to be. And I was thinking about the advantage that we have when we say that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that's doing the actual transformation process. Could it be that God would have us to be a little bit more precise, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more intentionality when it comes to to making a disciple? I'm going to read to you this, this passage of Scripture that you all know, probably have memorized. And I want you to tell me what we call this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do we call that? What is it? You know what I call it? I call it not in the Bible. I missed something that I don't know if you caught it. I'm going to say it again. You tell me what I missed. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's wrong with that? Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. I thought you were using the NIV. You thought I was using the, <laughs> the not so inspired version. <laughs> oh, that was good. Did we bring, Pamela, did we bring a prize for the one that had the most clever comment? Because Greg gets it. My favorite version. Yeah. So the word observe means to keep your eyes fixed on or to obey, to keep or to fulfill. And so in the ESV, it uses the word observe. Other versions might use the word obey. You see, if we leave out the obedience part of making a disciple, we simply have a classroom full of pupils. Jesus desired a church to be filled not with people that were just there learning, but those that were learning how to walk in obedience. Not those that simply knew His commands, but those who obeyed His commands. A disciple is one who follows the ways of Jesus, not just one who learns about the ways of Jesus. We are teaching people how to obey. And I think there's a big distinction between this in my mind is that we're not teaching them what to obey. Again, that can be done in in a school classroom. I can give you all of the commands. I can give you a sheet of paper with all of the commands of Jesus and tell you, now go and obey these things. But if I don't teach you how to obey those things, you're going to walk away and you're going to do the same thing that I did a lot of my Christian life. And that is stay in a state of discouragement and despair because the more you try to obey, the more you realize I can't obey. I want to tell you that studying the Bible, the main purpose of studying the Bible, our goal is not just to fill our minds with knowledge about God. Obedience is the goal. To learn who God is, to learn how He lived when Jesus was walking the earth, and how He wants us to live in obedience to Him. That's the goal. And let me fill you in on something that I know the enemy doesn't want you to know this morning. I'm convinced that the devil doesn't want you to understand this, this little secret I'm about to tell you. You already know what you need to know in order to obey the Scriptures. More studying is not going to help you be better at obeying. If you make your goal to study and know more of the truth, if your focus is on knowing more of, tr- of the truth in God's Word and your primary goal is not obedience, your request for knowledge may actually be a distraction from you focusing on the obedience part, the obeying the truth that you already know. Listen to what James says. James 1, starting in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word 
which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if you're somebody who hears the Word of God and you love hearing the Word of God and you love studying the Word of God and you, you, you receive that Word, but you're not a doer of that Word, this is what he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looked into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So being a disciple means you are a doer of the word. And that's what it meant, when Je- that's what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, teaching them how to obey. I would say to you that if you haven't come to a place in your life where you have become a doer of the Word, then you are like someone who has looked in the mirror, seen what you looked like, and then walked away and completely forgot who God has created you to be. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to help you understand how to obey, how to be a disciple, how to walk in all the things that Jesus commanded. And again, it's not going to take long because it's not that difficult for us to understand. Most of it we already have up here. It's just getting it from here into our, into our feet and in our hands, walking the way we're supposed to walk. It's not what 1 Timothy 3, that's what Paul says, but understand this, in the last days, this is 3, verse 1 of 1 Timothy, but understand this, in the last days there, uh, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is key to me, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So we talked about judging and the last time that I taught, I, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about that there are times that we are to avoid people. Well, again, Paul brings up another type of person that we, have, that we are to avoid is somebody who is all about these things, all about having an appearance of godliness, all about looking a certain way, but denying the power of God, which is what we're going to come to in just a minute as the whole, uh, the whole way this happens, the whole way we walk as a disciple but they deny its power, and he says to avoid such people. For among them are those, and he gives, he gives an a illustration, those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So they're always learning, always wanting to learn something, but never really getting to the heart, the point of what it means to be a disciple. The point of being a disciple is not just learning, 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 learning. It's learning what we are to do, how we are to live, what obedience looks like, and then walking in that obedience. He says in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So he's complimenting them, saying that they they got it. They understood that it was about a way of life, a way of conduct. They received his teaching and began to walk in it. And he was 
He was saying that to, to Timothy. And he goes on in verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out of God, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so here we have Paul encouraging Timothy that there are going to be those people that are all about the learning and all about the outward appearance, but inwardly they have no desire to really follow in obedience the conduct and the ways of Jesus. He goes on to say that they wander into myths. And what that really means is they, they wander into areas uh, to where their, their purpose was really sounding intelligent and looking intelligent. He says, for the time is coming. This is in, in, in uh, chapter 4. He kind of goes on. Uh, the time is coming. When people will endure, they will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And again, that word myths means that they were pursuing things that made them sound really intelligent, but they're not pursuing to know and obey the truth. It was all about them looking a certain way on the outside, but the truth is they were unwise in their thinking. So what does it mean to be a disciple? We read what Jesus said. He said that we are to to teach them to obey everything that he commanded. But what does it look like? How does does this work? How does it it happen whenever we meet someone that just became a believer? Or maybe we had an opportunity to share the gospel with them and they began to, to follow after Christ and they're ready, man. They're fresh, blank slate. What do we tell them? How do we get them to the place where they understand? Well, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2 for just a moment. So after Peter preaches this incredible gospel message to the, those that were gathered in Jerusalem, and they had the incredible cry to Peter out to him, you know, what must we do? In verse 38, you remember what Peter said. I want to point out just a couple things about this verse. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that, that Peter gives them two things to do and then two things that will be the response of them doing those two things. So he tells them, repent. We know what that word means. I remember the first several years of my Christian walk, I used to think that, uh, I used to have it described to me uh, as, as, you know, you're, t- you're turning around, you know, your life is going this way and you're, and you're turning around. That's what the word repent means. But that's really not what the word means. That, may, that should be the result of repentance. But the word repentance means that you, you think different afterward. Like from this moment forward, you think different. I'm hoping that this morning, for some of you, that today will be a day of repentance for you. That what happens in your mind from this day forward, you think different about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple than you did before you came here this morning. And that's the idea of repentance. It means that up until this point, God, like in, uh, in Acts uh, 17, when, when, when Paul was preaching to the men of Athens, you remember he said, uh, to this point, God, God winked at their, their uh, ignorance. In other words, you didn't know up until this point, but from this moment on, he calls all men to repent. Well, that's the thing. You know, up until now, God is, has, has kind of winked at or ignored the ignorance that maybe somebody has, but from this fo- moment forward, he wants them to think different. So you didn't, you didn't believe that the Messiah had come, but from this moment forward, Peter was telling them, think different of it. 
Repent of that wrong thinking. You crucified Jesus. Repent of the wrong thinking of this guy was not from God. And, and, and understand from this day forward, this was the Son of God who came to take away your sins. That's what the word repent means. And that's why when we preach the gospel, we have to include that word repent. But we have to be clear about what it means. And make sure that we're not telling people that the word repent, uh, you know, that it is you turning your life around. Because it's not you turning your life around. When your mind changes, trust me, your life will turn around. I don't see, uh, I only know how to call him, is New Noah. But New Noah's not here this morning. Uh, but, but we have a, a brother that's come twice, uh, and he'll be here again. But, but when you hear his testimony, uh, his testimony is a perfect example of what it means uh, to, to repent. His mind changed, and then, a few, and then, and then as, a, as a result of that, his life was radically different going forward. But his life was radically different because in his mind, his mind had changed, and he began to think different about the things he was doing and the life of sin that was, that was in rebellion against God. And his, and his mind changed, and he began to think different about God, and everything changed for him. That's the word repent, and that's what Peter was preaching to these people. He says, repent, and then he says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them to repent, and then be baptized. And so we know that the baptism of water doesn't do anything, uh, you know, it's, it's not like if, if they were on their way to the, the water to be baptized, and something happened, and, and, a, and a, you know, a, a donkey was pulling a cart, came along, and ran over them, and they died, that, oh, well, you didn't quite make it. You got halfway there, but unfortunately you didn't, you, you, you weren't born again. We know that's not true because we have examples of, of Jesus telling the man on the cross, today you'll be with me. We know that, that the water baptiz- baptism wasn't the, wasn't the key, but it was the internal thing that was taking place in that person's life. They were, they were dying to the old person, the old self, and they were, they were literally wa- walking away as a brand new person, being all things made, made new in Christ. They were a new creature as they walked away from repenting and believing in, in Jesus. So that's what Peter tells them to do. But then listen to what he says comes back at them. For the forgiveness of your sins, so everything's wiped clean, no longer condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, no more condemnation, sins wiped clean, all of it paid by Jesus, completely 100% forgiven. That's a transaction that we all celebrate uh, at the Lord's Supper later when we think about the, that transaction, we're, we still for all eternity are going to think, man, how is that even possible? That Jesus paid everything and all of my sins were forgiven. Forgiveness is such an amazing word, and there's so many people that walk around, even as believers, who haven't truly understood the doctrine, the teaching of forgiveness, and they walk around still feeling condemned, not knowing that Jesus was enough. It was finished. He paid it all. He says that you'll receive forgiveness of your sins, and then he says, why would Peter make this? The, the, the two things he mentions, the forgiveness I understand, but, but then he says to them, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you the reason why is because you can't be a disciple of Jesus without the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't walk as a believer in Jesus without the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus said, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded, 
I believe what Jesus was, was saying to those 11 men is I want you to go and I want you to teach people about the gift of the Holy Spirit and how to walk with me in this gift that they're going to receive, this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter understood that, and that's why I believe Peter made it very, very clear to them that if you do what what Jesus is calling you to do and think different from this moment forward and you believe and trust in Him, and you show that and you confess that by this this baptism of water and let let the world know that you've changed your mind about who God is. God's worked in you. He's done this work inside of you. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to change everything. It's how you're going to obey the Lord and all of His commands. So a couple other verses that will help you with this. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, Paul was saying here that because he understood the, the concept of the gift of the Holy Spirit, that it will be God that will give you the desire to obey all the things that Jesus commanded, and He will be the one that gives you the ability to obey all the things that He commanded. Just like salvation is a work of God, 100% His doing, your life in following and obeying is also a work of God. It is His doing He's the one that does the work in you. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So our our goal is not to just simply know about the promises, but that through those promises we will walk as divine spiritual beings, walking as spiritual people. So God began the good work, and God will complete that good work. So how does He do it, though? How does He do this? A couple other verses I just want to read to you. You don't have to turn there. But John 17, 17, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for those that would come after them. He says, sanctify them in your truth. In other words, set them apart. Bring them out of the world. Bring them, you know, separate them from the world. Purify them. Cleanse them. Sanctify them. He says, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. And then in Ephesians 5, as Paul is giving the, you know, this incredible picture of the, of the a husband loving his wife and then Christ being the head of the church and how he loves the church, he says that he might sanctify her. Same, same word, same idea. He might make her holy, might set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I hope you're seeing a some indicators as to how that takes place. God does this work. How does He do it? He does it through His Word. Ephesians 6, in verse 17, we've talked about this a lot, but thinking about the the helmet 
of salvation, all the different armor that, the, that, the, uh, that Paul talks about that we are to, to make sure we put on every day in our, in our fight, in our war against the enemy and all the things he brings against us. In verse 17, he says, take up the helmet of salvation. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God. A sword is a symbol of power meant for war and death. We think about a rod that maybe a, or a staff that a shepherd might carry it was more for, you know, for uh, keeping the, uh, you know, maybe the, the sheep in line and maybe fighting off, you know, a, a wolf that comes along to try to attack the sheep. A staff can be used for a number of different things, but a sword. If you carried a sword down the street in their day, in our day, you know, People might think you're on your way to some kind of a costume convention or something like that, right? We don't carry swords, but we carry other weapons. And if you carry, let's say, a a pistol, open carry where people can see it, or under under the shirt, you don't carry a weapon like that for anything other than, I'm going to protect my family, myself, and people around me if there was someone trying to, trying to kill somebody that I care about. You don't carry a gun out in public because you, you like the look of it. I mean, maybe somebody does. You don't carry a gun because you, you, know, you want to go later on in the day to target practice and, and, go, and go... No, you carry it for protection. And that's the idea of the sword. When you take the sword of the Spirit, that sword is a symbol of power meant for war and for death. You are at war against your flesh. You are at war against the unseen enemies. And the Spirit has one weapon that we are to carry around with us. And that is the sword, which is the Word of God. See, when there is no threat, we put the sword away. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the threat never goes away. The enemy is never, he's never going to give up. Until he's cast away, he's always going to be on the prowl, always looking for ways to sneak his way into an area of your life to try to cause destruction. So I would say to you that the sword should never be put up. But notice it is a weapon that the Spirit uses. That word of God. You see, we have to be careful that it's not our flesh using that sword. I talked about this before, but it is possible for somebody to use the word of God in a way that's very fleshly in the way that they, the way that they use it. Notice that it is the, the, the sword of the spirit. So it is the spirit that is using that word of God in your life primarily, but also in the life of others. Many people have been led astray by people that abuse the Word of God and in their flesh use the Word of God to manipulate people and abuse people. But the Spirit uses the Word of God for your protection to fight off the enemy. But then in Hebrews, we read even more about the, the idea or the concept of the sword. For the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And so the Word of God is a sword that the Holy Spirit uses, and He gives meaning and application to the Word of God to us in ways that, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword. When the Word of God, when the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in our lives, it, it goes through the very intentions of our hearts to help cleanse us and sanctify us. See, in our flesh, we are capable of swinging a sword and cutting off someone's ear. But the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And I would say that the majority of the time, 99% of the time, the Spirit of God wants to use the Word of God in your life. And perhaps other times when you're ready and you're mature and you're careful, the Spirit will use the Word of God through you into somebody else's life. That's the Word of God that the Spirit uses. And then in Hebrews 5, listen to this. This is verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I used to think that this meant what, what the writer of Hebrews was getting at, that, uh, that what was meant here was that it would, it would help the person be able to discern the good and evil in others, like, like it made me a better judge so I could look at others and know whether they were doing good or doing evil. But see, the focus here for, for Paul was not discerning necessarily with others, but it's the discernment in you. He's saying to them, you're the one that's drinking milk that should be able to drink or should be able to eat meat and have, have weightier things to feast on. He was saying to them that it's, it's, it's you that haven't grown to the point of being able to, to distinguish between good and evil. Your discernment, the powers of your discernment haven't been trained because you're still drinking milk as a baby rather than being a teacher and being able to, to, to share and teach the stronger things, the solid food. See, solid food is for mature. The mature is someone who has their discernment trained by constant practice, not in judging others first, but by judging themselves first. If you're able to discern and obey what is good and right and perfect, like what we read in Romans 12, then you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind and you're able to eat solid food. And so you remember what Paul wrote in Romans 12. Not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So just two more verses and then I want to hand out some, we call them cheat codes at my house, but it's a, a sheet of paper I want to share with you. But Colossians three sixteen says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that word dwell just means to abide. Let the word of God abide with you richly, abundantly. You know, let the word of God be in you, around you, before you. Let the Word of God dwell with you richly. And then the last passage I'm going to just kind of point you to, and we could read the whole thing, but then we really would be here for a while. But Psalm 119. 
I know Chris has broken this psalm down to us or for us a couple of times. But you go through some time and just, just read Psalm 119 in light of being a disciple that obeys, being a disciple that is, that is walking in the Spirit, which we're going to talk about that. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. You remember him all the way down in 105, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And my brothers and sisters, that's the goal, that's the idea. So when you think about your life as a believer, obeying the commands of Jesus, all the commands of Jesus, you can't do it apart from the Spirit of God. He's the one that gives you the desire. He's the one that gives you the ability. It's His divine power that has given you everything that you need to be able to walk the way God wants you to walk. But there is a part that we have to play in that process. And I believe that's what Paul was getting at in Colossians 3, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And Psalm 119, to me, brings home all of these points. Brings home all of these points. So I'm going to have a couple, uh, maybe the young adults, if you will, somebody, come and help me pass these out. And I'm giving uh, them instructions to only pass them out to the people that, that need it. So, yeah, I've already got mine, trust me. <clears throat> no, pass it out to everyone. I'm going to draw, before you start looking over, the, they're just verses. There's nothing, um, none of my thoughts are, are written on, on the piece of paper. And it's just one, one piece of paper, but there's plenty for everybody to have one. So I wrote, I drew two, two lines. I'm not an artist, but I can do that. <clears throat> All right. So I drew two lines on the board. And I want you to, in your life as a believer, imagine that, and we're, we're going to get the, to, to a verse in just a few minutes that has to do with, with walking in step with the Spirit. But if it is the Holy Spirit that does this work in us and gives us what we need in order to walk this way. What we do in our life as a believer, Paul tells us to, to walk in step, walk in harmony with the Spirit. So I've got two lines here. One can kind of represent you and one can represent the Holy Spirit. And our goal is to stay you know, in communion, walking with the Holy Spirit, walking as He walks, we walk. What can happen in our lives is when we get distracted, when we get busy, when we get our mind on other things other than walking in obedience, obeying all the things that I'm going to show you on this, on this sheet of paper are, are the things that can literally change your entire life, your marriage, your family. If we get distracted and we wind up with some kind of a little bit of a wedge in between us and where the Holy Spirit wants to go and we kind of choose to go a different direction, we wind up with space in between us and the Holy Spirit. My goal for you, and I believe God would want this to be true of you, is for you to so learn what daily life, walking the Spirit, you know, I don't want to use the word feel, but what it, you know, what it looks like in you so that you'll know any day when you're walking and there has become a wedge between you and the Holy Spirit, there's something He's... he's, he's put in you to do, there's something that, a, a verse of scripture that you're supposed to be meditating on, but you push that aside and begin meditating on something else. But I want you to learn in your life what, it, what it's like 
whenever there becomes a wedge in between you and the Holy Spirit so that you can quickly recognize that, confess that before God, and get back into a life that is walking in step with the Spirit. And we're going we're gonna to talk through these verses and, 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 and understand what I mean by that. When I'm saying walking in step with the Spirit, literally what I'm saying is dwelling with the Word of God richly. Letting the Word of God stay in you, around you, before you, leading you, because the majority of the time, almost all the time that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, it's going to be from the Word of God. And I would say you trust that, you believe in that. If there's times where you, you sense that maybe He's trying to tell you something else, I just say walk with caution. doesn't mean He won't speak to you about some other circumstance, but it can never be in conflict with, and it can never be a distraction from you walking and dwelling in the Word of God. But here's some of the verses. And I, I just want to tell you, as we look through, one piece of paper is all I'm giving to you. One piece of paper. And I would say to you, you test this and see if this is true. If you were to begin meditating on just these verses of Scripture on one piece of paper, and I'm not saying memorize them as if you're going to take an exam later so that you've got them up here. I'm saying meditate on them. If, there, if the Holy Spirit is going to use the Word of God and the Word of God is living and active, then you're walking in step with the things that are on this piece of paper. And you can't do that just by memorizing a passage of Scripture. I'm saying dwell on it. Let it abide with you. Walk with it. And, see, and you test this and see if this, is, if this is not true. In your marriage, if you're a married person and you hit struggles, go back in, you know, in the last six months... You may be walking through a sweet time right now. That's fine. Uh, but, but there'll be hardships possibly, probably, most definitely, that will come in the, in the months ahead. But think about the past. Think about where you are now. And is there anything in your marriage as we read through these that wouldn't be resolved if the two people that are married were walking in step with the Spirit, dwelling with the Word of, with the Word of God richly, and meditating on and walking in the things that are on just one piece of paper. Whatever problem you're having in your life, I'm going to challenge you to look at these verses that I've put down here and tell me that the answer to whatever problem it is that you're walking through, even it is that you need wisdom from God in a situation, how do you gain wisdom? James says to ask, but you've got to make sure that when you're asking, you're not going to ask for the wrong reasons? Well, how do, you, how do you get all of those things to match up and be in alignment so that whenever you pray and ask God, God gladly answers and gives you wisdom in the situation? And I would say that it is walking in step with the Spirit by letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. Let's just look at a couple of these passages really, really quickly. First Peter 1, I'm not going to teach on them because they're, you already know these, these passages, but First Peter 1, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if you just every day for a season, I'm not saying you have to do this every day for the rest of your life, but what if you did it every day for the next month? You started out reading these passages and you started out here, okay, I'm going to prepare my mind for action. If the actions and the obedience starts with my mind being in the right place, like Romans says, by the, by the 
you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want my mind to be renewed. We're going to read that in a minute. But, but I'm preparing my mind for action, and I'm setting my hope in the right place. I'm putting my hope in Jesus Christ. Just imagine how that alone could transform your day if you just start the day, not just reciting it or reading it, but truly meditating on, prepare my mind for that. I want my mind to be ready to walk with the Lord today in step with what the, the Lord wants to do. And then what if every day, Romans 8, 1, you reminded yourself, there's no condemnation. I am forgiven. Peter said, you know, for the forgiveness of your sins, that was your sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your sins are forgiven. You are not condemned. How many people in our, in our church gathering have we had conversations with in recent months that are walking around in condemnation, forgetting what Jesus said through Paul's hand, that there's no condemnation. So every day we're reminding ourselves so that when the enemy comes against you and tries to bring condemnation to you, you say, no, I know the truth and I'm walking in it. I'm walking in step with the Spirit and I know there's no condemnation. And then Romans 12, he's appealing to the brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we're meditating on that every day. God, let today be a day where my, my whole body is presented to you as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 2, don't be conformed by this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, like we said. So every day we're meditating on and letting the Holy Spirit transform us by renewing our mind. I mean, He's literally doing a, you know, like a, a makeover, like you'd watch on a TV show. He's coming in, the Holy Spirit with the Word of God is, is sanctifying us, pulling us out away from the way we used to think. He's sanctifying us, purifying us. He's transforming us by the renewing of our minds. So all day we're thinking about verses like that. Not thinking more highly of himself than he ought. And then in Colossians, he tells the, Paul tells the churches there to seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Put to death what is earthly in you. He says to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So again, just that alone, if you're meditating on that all throughout the day, you're reading it, you're thinking on it, you're praying through it, I would encourage you, if, you're, if you are married, if you're not married, maybe with one of your brothers or your sisters, to, to even daily pray through this together with your spouses with your brothers, somebody else in the house, praying through these things. But listen to what he says. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. If, if we're all throughout the day thinking about the Holy Spirit doing that kind of work through us, how would it change the way that we respond to people? And then in verse 14, above all these, put on love, with, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Man, my family loves that verse. That idea of harmony, harmony with the spirit, harmony with the body, harmony with your, with your spouse, harmony with, you know, within the church, walking as one. How does that take place? Above, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So when that 
that time of fear comes or worry or anxiety comes. You've been meditating on peace, the peace of God. Let it rule over me. This situation is not going to cause me fear because the peace of God rules over me. And then there's the verse I read earlier, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But then he gets into, at the end of that verse 15, and be thankful with thankfulness in your hearts. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So I don't know if you're catching on there, but you're meditating all throughout the day. God, let me be thankful. How can I be more thankful for the people around me? How can I be more thankful you know, for you and for my, for my husband or my wife or my children or my, my work or whatever it is that, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm walking through? I'm so thankful, being thankful in all things. And then he gets into some of the husband and wife relationships. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Husbands, meditating on a daily basis. Don't be harsh with my wife. Children, obey your parents and everything. We, all of our children do that. We don't, we don't we skip over that one. Um, children, obey your parents and everything, for it pleases the Lord. So yes, children, maybe that's something you can just meditate on every day. I know your parents would appreciate that, but just meditate on that every day of just, I want to obey my parents. It honors them. It honors the Lord. It pleases the Lord. And then fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know that. Wrestled through that a little bit, but just what does that mean to provoke your children? Most of the time my mind goes to, you know, us as adults, as men, wanting to force our children to do things that we ourselves are not willing to do. I think when... When children see their parents being hypocrites, that's probably at least one of the areas that a child looks and says, well, that doesn't make sense. You don't love, you don't love and you're telling me to love. A child needs to see it. I don't know. There's other areas I'm sure that, that parents can provoke. But at the very minimum, if a, if, a, if a parent is focused on and meditating on that, we would be careful. Then he gets into our work ethics. Slaves, obey everything, uh, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So what does that mean? It means that whenever you work for your boss or for your clients, if you own your own business, that you don't work in such a way that you're just wanting them to think you're working as eye pleasers. Oh man, I'm so, you're, you're such a good hard worker, but really you don't work. Really, you know that when they walk away, you go back to, to doing something that has nothing to do with the benefit to the company that's paying you to do work. And he's saying, not as I service, people pleasers, but with sincerity. So in other words, your work being work that is from a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. So you work for your employer, you work for your clients because of a healthy fear of God. If you're meditating on that, does it not change the way we think about our work? the way we think about our children, the way we think about our spouses. But then in 1 John 1, we talked about this already. If we confess our sins, He's faithful. And just added this one. Uh, I'll tell you the story of this, how this sheet came to be in just a, in just a minute. But, uh, but I added this one this morning. But if we confess our sins, because I don't want us to forget in line of, in the, in, in the, uh, you know, being, in, being consistent with not walking in condemnation, but we do sin, what do we do? 
But we don't go back to condemnation. We quickly confess He's faithful and just, and then we move on and move away from whatever it was that we were doing. And then at the bottom of that page, 1 Corinthians 16, let all you, you do be done in love. So again, I'm meditating day and day and day out. Everything, let everything that I do be done in love. And then we've got that definition that Dwayne read earlier, 1 Corinthians 13. So if every single word that's in that verse is something that you read and, and, and dwell with richly, it'll save you from being confused as to what the word love means. It's not an emotional state of mind that you need to try to walk in and fake. It's a different way of life. You're laying your life down. You're, you're doing these things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Not being irritable, not being resentful, not insisting on your way. Just imagine if every day that was what we were dwelling with richly. And then Galatians 5 is the walk in the Spirit or in step with the Spirit. We know that the Spirit and the flesh are against each other, recognizing that, meditating on that, being aware of that all throughout the day. They are against each other. They are opposed to each other. And I'm going to walk in the Spirit so that my flesh doesn't get its way. The fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And just, just to remind you that these are not goals of yours. Your goal is not to have love and joy and peace and patience. Your goal is to walk in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit does this. I like to say these are like a taste test. So all throughout the day, you're tasting the way that you're that you're responding, the way you're acting, the way you're living. And when the way you're responding and acting and living and walking doesn't match up with, with what the Spirit desires to produce in you, it doesn't mean that you need to go work harder at being filled with peace. That'll stress you out and make it worse. It doesn't mean you try harder to, to, to be filled with love and joy. Your problem is not that you're lacking love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your problem is you're not walking in step with the Spirit. So many of the problems that we try to help people work through in their own lives is just kind of like a symptom of the actual problem. You say, well, we can't, you know, we can't get along, or we can't, we can't communicate right, or we can't, you know, all these different things. But it all goes back to this. It all goes back to this. There are lots of symptoms that you'll see in your life that you're not walking in step with the Spirit. But I would say don't focus on the symptoms. Focus on the root problem. The root problem is if we walk in step with the Spirit, the power of God, His divine power will give us everything that we need to produce this kind of life. He says that if you, in verse 25 there of Galatians 5, if, you, if we live by the Spirit, which we do, we all agree, it is the Spirit of God that brought us to life. And if that's true, and it is, then let us walk by the Spirit. Kind of one of the whole points of Galatians is, you were saved by the Spirit, why in the world would you want to go walk in the flesh? That's, that's, a, that's a disaster, don't do that. No, you, you were saved in the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit. That's how you obey how do I obey all things Christ commanded? Walk in the Spirit. And then Ephesians 4, let no corruption, corrupted talk come out of your mouth, but that which is building up, uh, you know, good for building up, that grace may come to those who hear. So again, you're meditating every day on your mouth being used by the Lord to build people up in Christ.
So that that moment when something wants to come out of your mouth, you're like, no, I'm like, just a few minutes ago I was meditating on that verse. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change what I was going to say and I'm going to turn it around in a way that could be something edifying. And then Ephesians 6, we kind of already talked about this, but y'all know the, uh, y'all know the different elements or parts or, or items in the armor of God. Sometimes I like to think of it more as doors being closed because I don't see Roman soldiers uh, all that often in my life. Um, it's been a while. But the belt of truth, righteousness, peace, uh, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit we talked about, the Word of God, praying at all times, keeping alert with all perseverance. So again, if every day you're making sure that this is one of the, one of the areas that you're meditating on, verses of Scripture you're meditating on, making sure that those doors are closed, the armor's on, protection against the, the schemes of the devil. And then the last one has everything to do with the family, the husband and wife relationships. And so wives, if you're meditating on this verse so you can be reminded of, of, of how you are to live in your relationship with your husband, and the same with the husbands, how you're to live in your relationship with your wife, how you're to sanctify her, how you're to purify her with the washing of the water with the Word, just like Jesus does that to us. In the same way husbands should love their own Wives as their own bodies. So could it be as simple as saying that this one piece of paper with these verses, and I just want to tell you how I came to this, have these verses, and then I'll, I'll pray and we'll be done. Um, but years ago, I realized that I had a lot of things that were not, not where they needed to be in my relationship with the Lord. I needed, to, I needed to do better at obeying, but I wasn't really sure how. This, was, this may have been 10 years ago. I don't know, however long it was. And the Lord brought me to the place of understanding that it is through meditating on His Word, dwelling with His Word richly, letting the Word of God be what's in me, permeating through me, in my thoughts throughout the day. And so I made a, a little cheat sheet that I kept on my phone. I've had it as wallpaper on my phone. I've had all sorts of different ways that I've used these verses of Scripture. But all throughout the day, I would meditate on these. And when I would notice that there would be something that would be it would be off. I wasn't walking in step with the Spirit. It quickly came to my mind, and I could quickly try to get right back to that place where I was walking in step with what He was trying to do. And I know it now. I know it when I'm having a conversation with you, and, my, and, and, I've, got, and I've gotten off track in the way that I'm talking to you or, or, or the way that we're communicating. I'm encouraging you to take this for a season. This piece of paper, one piece of paper, because I believe that what's on this piece of paper has everything to do with what it means to be a Christian, what it means to obey the laws of Christ, the, 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 the Word of God. And don't depart from it until you know that the Holy Spirit has begun to do these things in your life. I'm not asking you to read this tomorrow morning and then fold it up and put it in your Bible and then three months down the road say, oh yeah, there's that piece of paper that Gerald uh, printed out and gave to me. No, I'm asking you, not just maybe in the morning, but throughout the day, do whatever it takes to meditate on the words of God, letting them dwell in you richly. Husbands, wives, what if you were to pray through these together? Read them, encourage each other in them. Maybe repent, maybe turn, maybe change your thinking about the way you live and think about some of these verses. And my question to you once again would be, what, what problems in your life do you have, whether it be in your marriage or other relationships, that at least aren't headed in the right direction 
for them to be restored by you meditating on the Word of God richly. So, Father, I thank you this morning that, that you're the one that came up with the idea of all this. You called us out. Spirit, you drew us. You saved us, God, through the Spirit. And brought us to new life. The things that I've shared this morning, God, I know they are so basic when it comes to our relationship with you But I'm convinced over the last several months, conversation after conversation after conversation, people that have come and have asked for help, for wisdom, for guidance, for counseling, that so much of what we deal with is not the symptoms that we might see, but it's this. It's going back to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the way Jesus walked. And Lord, this is the way you desire for us to walk. So my prayer today for my family here, God, is that you would reinvigorate us with a desire to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. Not just memorizing Scripture, not just reading Scripture, but God, would you allow the Word of God to be living and active in our lives, constantly sanctifying us, constantly purifying us, constantly separating us from the way that our flesh desires to live so that we can do, as my brother Dwayne said earlier, we can walk out for all to see the love of Christ that dwells in us and is at work in us. So God, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.